I guessed he was uh, scared and annoyed because he didn't understand what this was all about and he wanted me to respond to him in a way that he was more familiar with. So that's what I hear in that message. I don't have to say it out loud. I'd like to be able to say it out loud to check it out because it may be wrong, but just the fact that I'm trying to find the person's feelings, it's already a success. Because you see, when I'm looking for another person's feelings, I take away all power that person has to limit my power, my personal feelings of, res of respect. It's only when I take in the judgment that it starts to get scary. But when I'm conscious that all judgments are simply tragic expressions of need, why be scared of judgments? They're just saying, this person's in pain. This person needs something. Here's a good example where the truth sets us free. The truth is that this person has feelings and needs. So why get caught up in their imagery? Yeah. Do Saddam Hussein. Um, yeah, I can do that fairly easily. I work a lot with uh, some people that uh, empathize with him a lot. So I think I have a better position of him. Of course, it's very hard to, uh, for me to empathize with Arabs. Because if you've been exposed to Arabs presented to you the way that I've had Arabs presented to me in my life, then it becomes very hard to see the human being behind the message. Because uh, I don't know until a few years ago when I started to work over in the West Bank that I ever saw an Arab that wasn't portrayed as a terrorist or, or somebody out to kill somebody. Uh, so if you have uh, been exposed to anybody, any Arabs through the Western press, uh, it's going to be hard to empathize with, with Saddam Hussein. Um, but uh, I was trying to save my people from those Persians who are racist. You know, they're not Arabs. They're racist. They think that they are better than Arabs. And my country sacrificed men and women and money to protect the Arab world against those infidels. And Kuwait didn't support us economically in the struggle. They gave us a big bill after the war when they knew we were poor. So you feel really a lot of hatred toward the Kuwaitis. Uh, you would have liked them to support you in your war with Iran, especially since I was doing it to protect the Arab world from those crazy people over there. You know, those people are racist. So you're really frightened of the Persians. Uh, uh, you really believe they're out to do away with the, uh, with the Arabs. They are. They are. Did you ever hear their, their leaders speak? They would like nothing better than to take over our country. You're really afraid of them and wanted to protect yourself against the Iranis, and that's why you made such a sacrifice. <coughs> and now uh, you're really hurt that the Kuwaitis are asking you to pay back that bill. And they know what terrible economic shape we're in. And you're really panicked because it, in your country right now, you're having massive economic problems as a result of your war with Iran. Yeah. To what? I don't know, with Bush or somebody. With, uh, you know, Oliver, all the negotiators, and, you know, whatever. 
The only way that you could have prevented that is if you would have had non-racist people negotiating with us from your country. Uh-oh, that's what I was afraid of. That's what I was afraid of, you see. That's why people say, well, what are you going to do when the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor? Well, at that point, your options aren't good. But we could have had somebody who wasn't proud of being a racist negotiating with them for 20 years before that. I think so. so I think something similar goes on here. That uh, If you don't hear people's views for 20, 30 years, if you don't empathize with them, you have somebody communicating with them who's racist, uh, then it gets, so your choices aren't very good. I can understand it in my head and my heart and whatever, but to come, as a therapist, but to come up with the words. Not as important as having it in your heart the way you do. Better to have it in your heart and be groping for the words. A woman about a year ago in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, she saw a very beautiful giraffe interchange between a husband and wife in the workshop. They had been having a lot of problems and all of a sudden they started to get into a giraffe dance. Honesty and empathy. And it was very beautiful. A lot of wonderful energy going on. And this woman said to me a year later, she said, you know Marshall, in that year since, whenever I remember that energy that was going on between the husband and the wife, whenever I really get connected to that energy, even when I speak jackal, it's giraffe. So the words aren't as important as the consciousness of what, why I'm interested in giraffe, the quality of the connection. If that's really what you're after, the words come with practice, but it's that spiritual clarity at the beginning that's without that, the rest doesn't help. Popcorn isn't finished yet. Bring the popcorn with you. I was asked during uh, the break to say a few more words about what I started to talk about before the break, that we have to have a certain kind of consciousness, certain kind of spiritual clarity, I believe, to really apply this language of giraffe. Unless we, have, we are coming from this kind of awareness, then it just sounds like some mechanical contrivances. So we've got to be clear of what the goal is, to have that goal in mind before really the skills make any sense. So what is this goal that, that we're after uh, when we speak giraffe? It's described, I think, very well in a song written by a woman who, after studying with me for a while, this is the song she wrote to describe how things were humming between her and other people when she was engaged in this giraffe dance. I never feel more given to than when you take from me 
When you understand the joy I feel Caring for you And you know my giving isn't done To put you in my debt But because I want to live the love I feel for you To receive with grace May be the greatest giving There's no way I can separate the two When you give to me I give you my receiving And when you take from me I feel so given to So that's what I try to keep in mind, that quality of relating that I know is always there, and I consider it a natural way for people to relate. Uh, Gandhi helped me with this for a while. I wondered if it's so natural, how come everybody isn't doing it? And then he said, don't mix up natural and habitual. See, a lot of times, everybody can be doing things habitual that aren't very natural at all if you've gotten educated with some unnatural ideas then it becomes very hard to just do what is nat natural so i think it's natural for us to use our energies to simply look for how we can contribute to one another's well-being and uh, if we were really had a natural language we would have only a language for doing that for staying connected to each other moment by moment seeing what the possibilities are but Jackal is a very valuable language if you want to teach people to be docile and subservient in hierarchical structures. So that's why we learn that language instead, because it's, it's good for slave-making. When people get up in their heads wondering who is what and what is right and what is normal, then they're not in touch with their own values and they're easily controlled from other people because they look outside themselves always to find out what's right because it's always defined as external. It's always said that what's right is known by authority. This uh, reminded me of what you're saying right now about a program we have at our school called Project Reform. It's the Effective Schools Program. And we, when we talk to the children, we always say, give like warm fuzzies instead of pricklies. You know, the prickly was the person who was around with all the pricklies who would give the bad yep. words to everybody, like the jackal. So you're bringing up... You're bringing up this warm fuzzies thing, which is a good, a good chance for us to look a little bit about how to give appreciation in giraffe. You see, because I think human beings, if there's two things we need, it's giraffe appreciation and giraffe uh, education. We need, in other words, know when our behavior isn't contributing to life, and we need people to show us other things we could do to better contribute to our own well-being the well-being of others and we need to get that information without it sounding like an attack or a judgment or a demand because that slows it up so that's why when we translate our value judgments into giraffe we tell other people here's what I'd like you to do uh, and here's why and, uh, I'm not judging you I'm not demanding but here I really believe this would enrich your life so that's one message that we need to get real good at in giraffe how to express our value judgments 
especially when people aren't behaving in harmony with them. How do we express our value judgment so that the person sees clearly what we feel, what we want, without hearing any attack, without hearing any demand? Now, the other message that we really need to learn how to say well in giraffe is thank you. See, that's a very important message. Because not only are people hungry for education, they're to see new ways of enriching life. They also need to get genuine appreciation. See. We have the expression when they do something well, they get a certificate, a job well done. That's tricky because a certificate mm -hmm. can be either jackal or giraffe. Now it's starting to sound pretty jackal. <clears throat> because if appreciations are given as a re oh yes, people will usually like rewards. Until they see that rewards are part of the same system as, as punishment, and that they're both a form of external control. So then, you see, we have a different... That's, I would not want to mix up giraffe appreciation with that. In fact, to give an, an appreciation to have an effect on the other person is jackal. They feel good about getting a, a well done. That's the danger. That's the danger that people do feel good when authorities say you did a good job because they've been trained to work for rewards and punishment. So certainly they will prefer a reward to a punishment. But I'm suggesting there's a danger in there because they're still giving up their power to other people and they're working to get a happy face. That's the same as working for money. That's the same as working... See, so, yeah, one can say that's more humane than getting them to work to avoid punishment. This is uh, Skinner's contribution, you see. If it's more humane to control people through rewards, but it's still reward and punishment. It's still external control of behavior. You see. So let's not mix that up. I don't want to take it away if it's working for you. And, and, and the children... Uh, a lot of different kinds of people in different homes, and we have to sort of have a congruency, you know, not the same, but I mean, they have to know that if uh, we're to get along and be safe and everything, they, they make their own rules, you know, in the, in the mm -hmm. rooms. And uh, it seems to be working because uh, sometimes we have to, even like parents, don't the parents uh, say if you do a good job, make your bed or something, you don't get anything for it? You get a clean bed? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that anybody who uses rewards is bad. I'm saying that I can't get what I want using rewards. Because I never want people to do things for extrinsic reasons. So if they're doing it for extrinsic reasons, then I'm not getting what I want. I don't want my children to take out the garbage because they get a nickel. I want people to take out the garbage if they can be in total bliss taking out the garbage. <laughs> because they see how their efforts contribute to the well-being of this hard-working family need. You really would like people to enjoy contributing to one another's well-being. You'd really like children to enjoy contributing to one another's well-being. So in, in terms of your objectives, I, I share the same objective. I only question whether they're getting that, if that's why they're doing what you want them to do. See, this is always my worry about reward and punishment. If the person does it 
what is the energy behind it? If it's for the, the reward, that isn't why I wanted them to do it. Isn't there a time when one does give extrinsic things, as like you say, and then eventually it might become intrinsic after a while? That's another theory I've heard, but I guess I'm too cheap. I'd like to get to it without having to pay for it. Because <laughs> in my case, I find out that that just slows it down. That just really confuses things. To think that I must reward a person for it now. See, the thing that bothers me about reward and punishment is not that it works. That's not what bothers me. It, define, it bothers me how we define what works. See, if we define what works to get the children to obey certain rules in the school, and it might be humane rules, I mean, that's wonderful. It, it works. But see, for me, a giraffe, things work only if they're done for a certain reason. So that's what a, the giraffe vision. I'm afraid of getting people to do good things by reward, because I think that they then do good things. But I've then, I've facilitated a game of external control that is going to be harder and harder to break. This person is going to be more and more addicted just to getting extrinsic rewards rather than looking at, is this my value? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Praise is total jackal because it's a judgment. Whenever I praise somebody, I'm putting myself in a position of knowing who is a good boy, who is a bad boy, what is a right action, what is a wrong action. So by definition, praise is a total jackal concept, especially dangerous because people might believe it. Now that may or may not be jackal. It depends on your intent. If you're saying it because you feel it and that's all, you just want to celebrate, it's giraffe. If you're saying it to build up the other person's self-concept, it's jackal. Because whenever we start out trying to have an effect on other people, even though our intention is good, the very act that we see ourselves as somehow a together person shaping another person. That very transaction, I think, interferes with what we're trying to do. So if I say to another person, I just enjoy being with you, and I'm just trying to express my enjoyment being with them, that's just an expression of myself. That's giraffe. If I'm saying this because I think this other person needs me to make them feel better, that's jackal. Yes. Isn't that kind of also Yes, you need to give people rewards to get them to do unnatural actions. How do I say it? I only feel guilty if they get hurt and I think I hurt them. Well, first of all, as a giraffe, I only talk about feelings that I have at a given moment. So I never generalize. I never say, I like you. I never say, I don't like you. I never say, I love you. Because those are generalities. Love is much too important to a giraffe-speaking person to say, I love you, and weaken it. Because that's said by so many things. So giraffes, they have about a thousand ways of saying, I love you. Because love is not a feeling to a giraffe. Love is action. 
It's what you do. It's not something you just say, I love you. That's too easy. No, love is action. What action? Dance action. It's dancing. It's a giraffe dance. It's revealing yourself openly to the other person. It's receiving with empathy whatever they say back. It's that dance which is love, but you don't say, I love you. You, you demonstrate that moment by moment by how you relate to people. Now, those things that we say when we're bubbling up with wonderful feelings, we want to say those in technicolor as a giraffe. That's why we don't want to summarize them all under this, I love you. No, no. There's probably a, a hundred different words that we need to have for describing those beautiful feelings. And then we're just talking at that moment. But that's even more powerful because the person sees at this moment in time the power that they can have to stimulate joy or happiness or warmth in another person. We just say, right now, when I just see you sitting there, I just feel such joy, so glad just to spend time with you, if that's how I feel. I'm not trying to build them up. I'm expressing something going on in me. When the person trusts that I'm not trying to have an effect on them, that this is just coming from my heart, I just need empathy for this. I, I need as much empathy for this joy in me as I need if I'm in pain. I need empathy for both. There are times when it's okay not to have empathy for, for the other person. When they're doing something that's endangering a whole group of other people, for example, and I'm not really concerned about having empathy with them, but I'm concerned about the safety of the rest of the group. There's time that we act. We don't, we don't have time to do anything except act. So I might stop a person's action if I thought it was endangering somebody else. That's one case where I might not use empathy. I might use action. I stop the action. A second case I might not use empathy is when I'm in such pain myself, I can't give empathy to the other person. I need empathy. What I'm saying is, I don't expect this person to change the behavior until they receive empathy. But I may use force to prevent the behavior until we can have the empathy necessary for that to occur. No, no, I think that the, some of those, the pain that uh, <laughs> we'll get plenty of chance to do it. It's just that I like to deal with it when it's as hot as possible. So much of my most giraffish dialogues I've had with people is when I'm sitting on them. <laughs> so if I didn't have enough strength myself to hold them down, then maybe I had to get two or three other people. But that's really at a time when people need empathy the most. When people are the most desperate to want to hurt somebody, that's probably the time in their life they need empathy the most. So did you want to add something to that? Yeah. A lot of um, some form of giraffing would go on because that, those were the hot times. Yeah. But um, it was really disturbing because it's such an unhealthy, you know, when you're actually physically controlling somebody. Um, I just found that to be so, it's a weird, unhealthy situation. Though at times, some of the best work we've done during those situations. But 
Yes, you're saying that in the face of violence, that that can be very emotionally unsettling for you to have to be dealing with that. To be sure that you're dealing with it in a non-violent way yourself, yes, that's a high test for all of us to, uh, to deal with situations like that. Yeah. How would a giraffe, um, you said complimenting or giving praise is judgmental, how would a giraffe how would a giraffe give praise? Well, first of all, you see, a giraffe doesn't give praise. A giraffe expresses appreciation. We don't mix up praise or approval, which are jackal, with appreciation. Can I give you an yeah. Um, like a child who is doing something at this point, they weren't able to do it another time. So a person that's able to do something. So I had a student like this the other day. It happened that he was about 30. But, but I think the same thing would have happened. When I first met this man, I mean, he couldn't empathize or express a feeling. And all he wanted to do was kill his boss. And really, he had some real fears he was going to do it. A couple of times it came that close. Now he tells me about how he and his boss get along so well. And how his boss said to him the other day, have you got a new religion? Uh, <laughs> but he told and here's what I said, you know, I just feel such delight, because I know how much you wanted to do that, and, and I'm really so glad that our work together could arrive at that. So I just told him my feelings, my needs that were met. See, there's three things we need to get across to the other person to, to give appreciation in giraffe. Now, we can say this in any way, if the other person has giraffe ears. For example, one of the best expressions of giraffe appreciations I ever got was a student studying with me said to me once dictator dictator but I knew the three things that I'm going to outline for you I saw them very clearly he trusted that I saw them so he knew that I didn't hear that as a judgment or an attack so if the other person has giraffe ears you can say anything of course but if you want to express appreciation in classical giraffe there's three things you want to get across to somebody a woman came up to me in Geneva, Switzerland after a workshop and she says, you're brilliant. Now, how's that for a jackal? God forbid I might think she's right. See, it's as dangerous to think positive judgments are right as negative judgments. Once you let in a positive judgment, you really think there's such a thing as brilliant. As soon as you take in that side of it, you also believe there's such a thing as being stupid. So you live in a world of judgment. That's why I love the way the Christians put it. Judge not others, lest ye be judged. As soon as I think there's a brilliant, I'm opening myself up to a world of judgment. Now, fortunately, I know there's no such thing as being brilliant. <clears throat> but I told her, I can get a lot more out of this appreciation if you'll give me three pieces of information. First, could you tell me what I did? Uh, I can't identify with what I am. It never helps me when people tell me what I am. I think I've been called about every name possible, so now I know I'm all of those things. It doesn't seem to help me, so I don't need to know what I am. I've been called stupid more often than brilliant, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help now to call me brilliant. It doesn't help me to know what I am. I accept that I'm both, bright and stupid. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I know I'm sick. I know I'm normal. All of those. I agree to all judgments. Please save your breath. I agree that I'm all of them. 
But if you want to give me information that I can learn from, you can help me grow as a person, tell me what I do that nurtures you, not generalities. So she had to think about this, because first she gave me two or three other judgments. She said, oh, you're so intelligent, huh? Doesn't help, doesn't help. What did I do? Finally, even she got more out of it when she got clear. She said, it was two things you said today. And then she told me what the two things were. Ah, already I got more out of it. I could identify with that. I did say those things. Now, second, how do you feel as a result of my having done that? When I can see what kind of feelings are in the other person, that adds to my ability to enjoy the appreciation. So she said to me, I feel hopeful and relieved. Ah, isn't that wonderful to think I could say things? Just say a couple things. Isn't this a miracle? Here's a person is relieved and hopeful. Third piece of information. What need got met that makes her feel so relieved and hopeful? Because when we can see our actions as human beings fulfilling needs, that's natural high. We see, wow, look at that. My action met a need and look at what this person's feeling. When we receive those three pieces of information back, that makes us natural giraffes. Then we don't contribute to other people's well-being out of guilt or duty or to be nice. We do it out of this joy which we store in our bodies of how good it feels to see how our behavior can contribute to life. So had she expressed her appreciation to me in giraffe, she would have said it this way. Marshall, when you told me A and B, that leaves me feeling joyful and relieved because I wanted to make a connection with my oldest son. I haven't known how. And those two things, I'm sure, are going to give me the connection that I wanted. Well, she wasn't praising me. She was telling me what I did and what effect it had in her. She wasn't trying to build up my self-concept. She wanted to celebrate her joy. Then, of course, I could take it in and enjoy it. If I have giraffe ears, but if I have jackal ears, woo, if you really want to make a jackal suffer, appreciate them. <laughs> Express some love to them. Listen to how jackals deal with these. Nothing. It's amazing to me how jackals say the same thing in many languages. Here's a French jackal. De rien. <laughs> Spanish jackal, nada. My favorite are Swedish. Ash! Oh, just contempt, because see, in jackaldom, the worst thing you can do is take in appreciation. Because that might mean you're worth something. You never want anybody to think they're worth something. They don't make good slaves, so. You make it appear like humility, denial. Humility. I like what Golda Meir once said to one of her ministers. Don't be so humble, you're not that great. <laughs> but my favorite appreciations, the way people give them, that I've ever seen, that are the most giraffe. I'm learning from some Palestinian friends of mine who are Sufi Muslims. Now they have the most giraffe way I've ever seen for expressing appreciation. This one gentleman, he wanted to show me how, and I had gotten them together and done some things for them. So I knew what he was talking about. 
So you lock thumbs in Mus uh, Sufi uh, Muslim tradition. And then you look the person in the eye and you say, I kiss the God in you that helped you to give to me as you did. And then you kiss the hand looking in the eye. But you make it clear that you don't, you're not celebrating the person. You don't make it appear as though people are great or not great. But you make it very clear people are wonderful to the degree to which they let a certain power come through them. They, they become the, the hands and feet of God, you see. So, uh, to say nothing is to deny that, that beauty and the role that we can play in it. So that's not acknowledging what we did and taking it in. Yeah. What it's like. The funny, the funny thing is, it's, it's really, I work with a lot of different cultures, but the similarities are always what strike me. Let me show you what I mean. I was staying in a uh, house with uh, some uh, Palestinians. And I was there about three days, and uh, this, the woman was angry with me. Now, why was she angry with me? She said, yesterday and the day before, I kept your supper for you. And you, you, didn't, you weren't here. You got to eat. You can't work these long hours without eating. So she keeps after me. You know, when are you going to be home tonight? And I said, you know, it's hard to get a cab over here. The cab drivers are afraid to drive over here. So I don't want to tell you I'm going to be here at a certain time and not be here. So uh, I'll, please, I, I'm grateful, but don't, don't worry. No, you have to eat. So that day I did some work over in Tel Aviv. And so when I got over to Tel Aviv, the people said, you a Jew living over there with the Arabs? I said, yeah. He said, what is that like? It's very interesting. I learned at breakfast today that Palestinian women are Jewish mothers. <laughs> no matter where I go, people seem to enjoy me eating their food, sleeping in their beds, using their telephones using their bathrooms. It just seems to me that if I want to make people happy, just to enjoy their gifts. So that similarity seems to me all over. So that, that's very encouraging to me. That really makes me aware that giraffe is a natural language, you see. But when people are in their natural state, that's what they're doing. So like, have you ever given something like this, like a I've given it in several monasteries. Uh, Yes, I often work in monasteries. Uh, the last religious place I was in was a mosque, but I work a lot in synagogues, uh, mosques, uh, because all of these people accuse me of thievery. I was working in uh, Kenrick Seminary in, uh, near St. Louis. They train Catholic priests. The head of biblical studies, he said, now, do you realize, Marshall, what you're presenting is nothing new. It's applied Christianity. David Rosen, an Orthodox rabbi in Brazil, he said that all I'm teaching is, is applied Judaism. And I've had a Muslim uh, imam tell me the same thing. So I've been accused of thievery by all of them. They're all right. I've stolen from all of them. Uh, they're all talking about the same quality. I've tried to understand what all these wise people are talking about. Everybody talks about love. I, okay, all those people can't be wrong. How do you do it? 
I, I go to Russia regularly. I'll be there again in about 10 days. I'll go from St. Petersburg, Florida, where I'll visit my parents, to St. Petersburg, Russia. St. Petersburg to St. Petersburg. And in uh, St. Petersburg, we have a very active team of giraffes. They are eager to learn giraffe and pass it on in St. Petersburg. And now this time I'll start training a team coming from other cities uh, in the Soviet Union. We started to teach it down in Tbilisi, Georgia, but they decided to play some jackal war games for a while, so it's not safe for our team to organize workshops right now. But we'll, we'll pick it up again as soon as the craziness ends. We've been invited to go into Tallinn, and uh, soon we will figure out a way to get enough people trained to go there. Well, at the moment, there's about uh, 50 or so people that I know teaching it to other people in different places. It's hard to keep track because, like, not too long ago, I was in Chicago, and a woman came up to me, and she said, uh, you know, this has been very valuable in my relationship with my oldest daughter. You know, from the time that child was born until she was 15 and I took your training, I hated the child, to tell you the truth. I couldn't even face it. But she says, now that child's my best friend. Oh, I said, I'm very happy to hear that news, but I'm sad. I don't remember your name. I'm embarrassed. She said, I've never met you until right now. Oh, I said, well, where did you learn about this craziness? And she said, from Sally Vershay. Oh, then I was very happy because I know that Sally Vershay learned it from Jim Iberg, and Jim Iberg learned it from Alan Rolfe, and Alan Rolfe learned it from me. Now, since that, which is about two years ago, I've learned that that woman is herself now passing giraffe on to a lot of parents in Chicago. So it's very nice to see how good news travels. So it's hard for me to keep track now of everybody that's teaching it to other people. But there's about 50 that I remain in fairly close contact with. So they're just the ones I know about. Because we don't have secret rituals that they have to, to do certain things or send money in once a month, you know. Yes. 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 Wherever we go, we want to figure out the best way to spread it, and so obviously to learn it through a translator—that's hard work. So everywhere people want to get people trained locally that speak their language. So we're. We now have giraffe-speaking people who can teach giraffe in Arabic and Hebrew and Russian and uh, Swedish, uh, French, Portuguese, a few others I've skipped. One thing I wasn't sure I understood uh, is you said that it was important to know how to express values without passing judgment. Yeah. Could you give some examples of Yes. Here you see it. it's very important to understand the two uses of the word judgment in English because one are very critical, you can't live without it, and the other, you're likely to die with it. So we've got to get these two clear. The value judgments that we can't live without, each of us, each moment, has to make certain value judgments about what is conducive to life and what isn't. What's best for us? We make that judgment when we pick food. We don't run out in front of a car. We have all kinds of judgments that we're constantly making about what's good for our well-being and what isn't. Now, the other use of the word judgment is what we do when somebody doesn't behave in a way 
that we can that is in harmony with our value judgment. If we then say that they are sick, bad, stupid, inappropriate, if we label them in any way that implies that they are they deserve blame and punishment, it's that use of judgment that I think is counterproductive. So we don't want to mix that up. As parents, for example, we want to be very explicit in giraffe. Here are my values. This is what I really, how I want us as a family to behave. Here is what I would like you to do. I'm not going to be shy, and I, I, I hope that in my life and all of the years that I've lived, I have something to offer you. I want to make it available to you. I'm not permissive. Here is what I believe. Here is what I value. It's yours. But I value it so much, I know I don't have to use coercive means to sell you on it. So I only want you to do this if you're willing. I don't want to force you to not hear a good thing because you and I get into a power struggle. So here is what I value, but please do it only when you really feel that this is contributing to life. And that's how we make our value judgments in giraffe. Yeah. When we were talking earlier about uh, making the beds and things like that, you made the comment that we need to make consensual rules. Mm -hmm. When we make these consensual rules, do consequences follow for the ones who don't adhere to the rules? Or I'll try and yes, and the and the consequences in particular need to be part of the consensual mm -hmm. agreement. <laughs> so what's going to happen? Let me show you. Like I helped set up a giraffe school one time in St. Louis, and we wanted to do this school with children who were pushed out of school or kicked out of school. We wanted to show that with giraffe education, it isn't hard to teach people good stuff. If people are fighting against it, it could be it's a jackal system. So we wanted to set up a giraffe system. Uh, now, we had a problem. We didn't have much money. The foundation gave us a little bit of money, but we didn't have enough money for teachers. So we had to hire volunteers, not, uh, get volunteers to teach in this difficult school. So we got volunteers, mainly people from the associations of black collegians in the colleges in the St. Louis area. So my job to train these people, none of whom had been teachers before, in four days to be giraffe teachers with kids that were kicked out or pushed out of the school. Well, I didn't do a very good job. Because the uh, first few days of the school was catastrophic. He called this school the fun school. Nobody was having any fun in the fun school. <laughs> and I was out of town the first four days. And when I got back in town, everybody down at the fun school was saying, get down here quick. It ain't working. It ain't working. So I speed down to the fun school. And I say, everybody looked like they'd aged 30 years in the four days. <laughs> So I said, well, get about eight or ten of the kids creating most of the havoc into a room, and uh, maybe they can educate me how we can get some order around here. So now I'm with eight or ten of the biggest culprits in this school, and I introduced myself and said that my job was how to show that this giraffe education would work, and I was to train the teachers, but I've been told that the school wasn't working too well, and I'd appreciate their feedback. What's the problem? One young man says, the teachers in this school are a bunch of fools, man. I said, could you help me understand that? What do they do? He said, no matter what you do, they stand around grinning like a bunch of fools. <laughs> and then each one of the students wanted to, to give me another story about, no matter what you do, they stand around grinning like a bunch of fools. I said, uh-oh, I can see I didn't do my job well. 
I can see I didn't get across to them the difference between giraffe and permissiveness. So I need your help. How can we get some order? Now the child that says that who spoke up originally, he said, you got to get a rattan, man. A rattan. The first time I heard that word, rattan, I said, I don't know what that means. And one of my black colleagues says, that's because you're culturally deprived, brother. <laughs> he says, if you were black and you lived in this town, you'd know what a rattan is. It's a stick about so long. And you know where they, they buy them in the gross in the St. Louis schools? They buy them from window shade companies. They're the slats at the bottom in there. So these are, these are provided as supplies to the principals, you see. So seven out of ten people in the United States firmly believe in corporal punishment of children in the schools. Same that, the same that would like uh, to uh, kill uh, prisoners. Seven out of ten. Of course, it's as though in the Bible, spare the rod and spoil the child. Do you accept Jesus as your personal savior? Oops, I thought I was back in North Texas for a moment. Uh, no, they believe this very strongly. This is a religious belief. You've got to use punishment to let children know they're sinners and they can't do that. Deeply ingrained. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, as a giraffe, uh, I just abstain from that kind of game. So this gentleman wanted me to get a rattan, a stick, and hit the, uh, the children. So he didn't, there were three children sitting over to my right, and they weren't aware that I saw that one of them had a knife out and was carving in the desk. The gentleman I was talking to was here, so I said to him, you're saying then that if I want to get him to put up that knife, I've got to have a stick, and I've got to tell him, put up the knife or you get the stick. He said, that's the only way that man will listen. So I said, let me show you what I'm concerned about, about that stick theory. So you're saying I can get the knife put up if I have a stick. He says, yeah. But now watch. I say to the guy with the knife, but what happens if I do get you to put that knife up now because I have a stick? But what happens tonight if I go out to my car and the three of you are there? And the gentleman with the knife just looked at me very straight and said, then you better have a big stick. <laughs> so I said, this is why I don't like the stick theory, you know. Everybody has to go around worrying about whether they got the bigger stick. And not only that, we wanted to show how this school could do different business than the public school. And that, that wouldn't be showing that we were doing anything different. Another student said, well, if a dude is going to do nothing, kick him out of school. Well, I said, I appreciate your suggestion. Here again, that's the way they're handling it in the public school. We wanted to show a different way of doing business. But we problem solved for a while, and finally some little man, he hadn't said a word. He came in with the winner. He solved the problem of, that, of in the school. He just said, well, if a dude is going to do nothing, put him in a do-nothing room. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, run that back to me again. I, I, he said, sometimes you come to school, you just feel evil. You just don't want to do nothing anybody tells you to do. So have a, a room that the person can go to to do nothing till he feels like doing something. I said, well, I like the idea, but I can tell you right now what the teachers are going to say. How is he going to get there? They said, he'll go. I said, maybe. I'll tell you they won't go if I get on the loudspeaker and say, hear this, hear this. Anybody who isn't doing what we want you to is going to be put into a do-nothing room. You know as well as I do what's going to happen. So I said, but if you tell the students what you just told me, 
if all of you pass that on and make it clear to everybody that this is the reason why we're doing it, then I'll talk to the teachers, I'll tell them what you said, and let's try it. It worked wonderfully. So that's how you get order. We had a, an agreement to what would happen if somebody was doing something that was disrupting the order. The teacher could say, please go to the do-nothing room, and they went. We had our best giraffe speaker in the do-nothing room. And there was plenty to do in the do-nothing room. But we had our best giraffe teacher in there to come in and really, that's when people really need people, when it's one of those days when you feel evil. And so they'd come in there and stomp around, but they had a good giraffe person in there to hear them. Yeah, I have problems with a lot of people in this respect. People that say and do things in relationship to Jewish people, to, to black people, to Asian people, to gay people. Uh, and if you follow the same person around, you'll see they'll usually do it to just about every one of those groups. Because uh, it's the same quality of thinking, you see, uh, that I think leads to that. So what do I do? Well, to tell you the truth, a lot of the time I try to put myself as far away from such a person as I can, to be honest with you. I don't always choose to go to war over it, because if I did that every time, I'd spend nothing else except my whole life talking to people who make statements like that. But if this was important for me to do something about it, then I would probably, for me, since that behavior gets to me an awful lot, so if I really wanted to talk to these people, I'd probably first go off to a giraffe and say, hey, there's some stuff going on in my school, some people saying things about gay people, and it's driving me crazy. And I'm afraid if I don't get my feelings under control, if I start to deal with them about it, I'm going to jackal the heck out of them and make matters worse. So that's what's going on in me right now. Yeah, so you're in a lot of pain. You'd really like to talk to these people, but you need to get your feelings under better control until you do. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just... First, I turn into a jackal. I start to label them, and I, I start to say that these people are really, you know, Nazis. They're bigots. And I, and I know that that's doing the same thing to them that they're doing. I'm classifying them. I'm turning them into objects. But by God, when I get angry, that's just what I want to say. I want to call them names. Yeah, so that creates a lot of pain in you. and You want to scream names at them, and yet you feel discouraged because you can see that that's just playing the same game that they're playing. Yeah, but by God, it really hurts when I see how they, they ridicule and dehumanize people. Yeah, so it really hurts. It really hurts. Yeah. Whew, giraffe, thanks a lot for that listening. I, I needed to talk about those feelings. Yeah, okay, I think I got my pain under enough control to go and talk to, the, to that jackal. Now I go over and talk to the jackal. Jackal, when I hear you making some of the comments you do about gay people, I get really hurt. I guess I'd like gay people to be treated with more respect than that. Oh, are you gay yourself, my friend? Now I'm quiet as a giraffe, you see. Now I want to jackal this person a bit. I want to give this person a little fist therapy. <laughs> so I know that when I'm that angry at the person, I didn't hear them. Because I know if I really hear them, that won't make me angry. So I, I know I use my anger. 
I don't repress it, I use it. I use my anger to wake me up. I didn't hear this person. So I have to, but now nonetheless, I'm angry. So I have to give myself some emergency first aid giraffe treatment. <laughs> so I don't allow this person to draw me into his game. So I'm sensing from the way you're coming at me right now that you really feel disgusted uh, in relation to gay people. That's a perversion, man. These people are sick. We had to drive them out of this country. Really, really, you get you angrier than hell. You really want to punish gay people. That's right, man. It's sick. I'm telling you, it's sick behavior. You can't stand it. Even just seeing it, you really hate it. Yeah, man, it's sick. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything more you need to tell me about that? No, you hear me, man. It's just sick. I feel very sad that you have that going on within you. I would really like you to be better able to enjoy gay people. You trying to draw me into being gay, man? So that's really frightening and aggravating for you, even at, the assum at that assumption. Yeah, man, because I tell you, I'm not sick. You want to be very clear that you're not gay. Yes. And I'm sad that I'm not able to make clear what I'm trying to say. I'm saying I'm sad that you can't see the beauty in gay people that I see. And I'd like you to spend less of your energy aggravating yourself when really I think you could really enjoy them. So could you tell me what you hear me saying so I can see if I'm making myself clear? Yeah, you're trying to say I'm supposed to be a gay lover. No, I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say I feel sad I'd like you to share in the beauty of the people that I, that I see. Are you gay? I'd be glad to answer that later. That's another issue. Right now, could you tell me what you heard me say? Say it again. I'm saying I feel sad. I'd really like you to better enjoy the people as I do. I really hate to see you missing out, and not just missing out, but tormenting yourself with your attitudes toward them. Could you just tell me what you hear me say so I can see if I'm making any sense? You feel sad, yeah? Because you want me to be able to enjoy them like you do. Thank you. I feel very grateful that you heard me. Well, I'd like to end with a song, but uh, I'd like to honor what you started the evening off with. You said you wanted, could we do a song that we could all sing? Remember? Yeah, I you remember that. So I have written a choral number for, for a, a chorus just this size. So even while you're working on that, I'd greatly appreciate if you'd help me sing this song. It's a choral number. And concentrate. Here is the chorus. Got to listen hard. Ka, 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 ka. Can you handle that? Now, this was written for special voices. You must sing off-key and raucous. If anybody has a good voice, it'll ruin this song. Because this is a song I wrote to give myself permission to do music in public. Because, you see, I had a third-grade music teacher told me and two other boys, bring comic books, but don't sing. <laughs> so I had to write this song to give myself permission to sing. So once more, uh, let's all join in on the chorus. Ready? Ka, 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 ka. Ka 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 Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs>
name of this song is The Crow with a Crippled Wing. And it's for all of you out there whose teachers told you bring comic books but don't sing. <laughs> Though I play guitar like my fingers are stone and my voice is miles off key. I remind myself, hey, it's okay to sing the songs that are stirring in me because I believe everyone has a right to dance and sing. Even if you move and sound like a crow with a crippled wing. Crows. Though an ox may not move like Fred Astaire when it starts doing its dance. As far as I'm concerned, if an ox wants to boogie, I'd like to see it get the chance. Because I believe everyone has a right to dance and sing. Even if you move and sound like a crow with a crippled wing. Crows. I want to stay in touch with life's sweet flow Spread loving waves wherever I go I want everything that I say or do to bring strength, warmth, and light to you. I want to stay in touch with life's sweet flow. Spread loving waves wherever I go. I like being aware we don't have to achieve. Life's a gift we have only to receive. I want to stay in touch with life's sweet flow. Spread loving waves wherever I go. Yes, that, uh, that song's on one of the tapes. So I'm very grateful to you all for coming out this evening.